Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning. How are you? Well, huh? Baptism Sunday is pretty legit. I'm just going to say, I don't know. How was the water, Tessa? Was it warm? All right. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, this, it's quite possible the people that uh, got baptized are in this room or they're downstairs listening. So let's give them a hand one more time. Congratulations. Congratulations. May God continue to lead and guide and bless you all the days of your life. What a marked day. You know, all through scripture, there are days, um, appointed days that the Bible would probably use language, something like that, where things happen. And then from that point forward, just are never the same again. And um, it's not always baptism Sundays for people. You know, it's uh, um, hearing the Lord's voice for the first time on your own. It's reading scripture and the Lord just sort of reminds you of something that was maybe spoken to you some years ago. I don't know, but there's these, these moments that happen in our lives. And from that point forward, looking back, you can see the, the, the adjustment of the trajectory of your life that God is doing for you. That he is, he is <laughs> here's an old timey word. He is wooing. He's wooing us, <laughs> Right. He's calling us and asking us to, to surrender our lives and to follow him. Because the, 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 the road that God has for you and for me is so much better than, than our own plans for our lives. And so um, congratulations. That's just so awesome. So anyways, I could just sit here for a while and just um, bask, right, in the love of Jesus. And if that's okay with you, can we? Like, I have things prepared. Like, I stayed up late last night working on it. I got up early this morning, and I worked on it. But I wouldn't mind just sitting here for a minute. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, if I, um, if I could say every once in a while, the Lord will give me um, maybe a phrase or a word, um, which I know is church language, but it just, it just means this. Every once in a while, I just sense that the Lord would say something, and I feel like the Lord would say this to us today. Um, and it, take it or not, it doesn't matter to me. Okay, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But for, for people in the room today, I think the Lord would say um, that you haven't seen anything yet. Like, like this moment that took place today, it was an act of faith for many people to get baptized. But for those of you that weren't baptized, they're still wondering, is God calling me? Yes. And the Lord would say, you haven't seen anything yet. Like there's still so much more that the Lord would have. So um, I hope you receive that. So. Well, shall we get started? Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. We're going to be working through um, 
Luke chapter 6, as we continue our Bible study in Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verses 12 through 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback black Bible underneath the seat close to you. You can use one of those. Um, If you don't own a Bible, you can take that Bible home with you, write your name and crayon in it. It belongs to you. It's yours. But if you own a Bible, please don't take it with you, right? We don't want to add to your collection of Bibles that you don't read. So just take one with... (laughs) Right? So no shame, no condemnation here today at all. I promise you. So, um, but I want to read through there, but I just, I just want to think about um, how the pages of history, both, you know, just secular history and even in church history that we can read through the Bible, that we see you um, ordinary average individuals being used by God in such a profound way that the world has never been the same since. Like people really being used. I was uh, researching, reading this week for this sermon and ran across um, a couple uh, lives um, some names I'll mention, you'll probably know them. But these, I want you to hear me, these were just average people, okay, that God used in profound ways. How many people know the name Cory ten Boom? Cory ten Boom, right? A Danish Christian, Reformed Dutch Christian, um, living at the, during World War II. Her and her family took Jews into their house and hid them from the Nazis. Um, they were actually found out right, and were also arrested and thrown into the concentration camps that they are trying to save the Jewish people from. She survived the concentration camp, and then for the next, I don't know, 40 years of her life, or 50, however long she lived, she went about just teaching the message of love and reconciliation, and she shared forgiveness and inspired people all around the world to do so. You've heard the name Mother Teresa, yes, many of you? Right, Catholic nun who uh, selfless service um, to the poor and the sick inspired the world around. Um, she cared for the lepers and the sick, the people with HIV AIDS when everybody else wanted to just stay away from them and saw them as unclean. Go back in the 19th century, William Wilberforce, many of you know his name. He was a, a, a politician in the UK or Britain. Uh, his tireless efforts led to the abolition of the slave trade in Britain. And that eventually swept across the Atlantic to our nation as well. And we're so thankful for that. Um, Understand this, an average person, yeah, he's a politician, so you might think above average, or if you're like me, think below average if he's a politician. (laughs) Oh, these are the jokes, people. (laughs) These are the jokes that don't get any better than this. Um, But he's just a man who got saved, that Jesus spoke into his life, and it it, it made his life's work that he wanted to abolish slavery in um, Britain. Uh, Jean Vignier, Vignier was a Catholic, um, French-Canadian Catholic priest who started communities um, to support and serve the intellectually disabled people among us. If you've read anything about the atrocities from World War II, especially from the Nazis, that they would oftentimes um, think people with mental deficiencies were not worthy of life and would extinguish them. You know, they just killed them all. And, um, and the, many times people treat them differently too. So this person, this priest started some communities worldwide in 38 different countries. There's 150 communities where, um, that helps shape the way others view people with intellectual disabilities. This is an average person whose life just got a, that God got a hold of their life and used them to do some pretty profound things. We can read in the Bible. I've got a bunch of names for you. We'll just go through them quickly. We've got Jacob, in the Old Testament, his name means deceiver, right? So how would you like your mom to name you deceiver? Um, I could name my brother deceiver. I could do that for sure. Um, but his name, Jacob, means trickster, means deceiver, and he stole his inheritance, birthright, from his older brother Esau, um, and yet God still used him. 
He ends up having 12 different sons. Those 12 sons grow into mighty clans and families. They become the 12 tribes of a nation called Israel, God's people. So the beginning of God's own people started with a man whose name means deceiver. Moses was orphaned and had a speech impediment, and God used him to free God's people out of slavery in Egypt um, by using his voice to say, let my people go. Esther won a sex contest. You can read about it in the Old Testament. I know it sounds weird to say in church, but it's true. She won a a contest and became queen and saved God's people from annihilation. Rahab was a non-religious prostitute who trusted God and helped the Israelite spies when they were coming into the promised land. And her name is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. David, the shepherd boy who defeated a giant named Goliath and became Israel's greatest king, was the last of all his brothers to be um, shown to Samuel, the priest, when they were looking for a new king. And lastly, I'll just finish with this. We could go on and on with these. But there's Mary, the young virgin girl, betrothed to a man named Joseph, who had an encounter with God one night that says, you're going to be with child. And, and she said, okay. You realize she had a choice. Has, has no one ever taught you that? You know, she says the words, you know, be unto me as you will. She says, that's fine. If that's what you're going to do, Lord, do it, knowing that her, her life as she then knew it would be forever changed. She would always be called a trollop, another old-timey word for the young people in the room. Loose. She became, she, people would con, con, uh, say that she was cheating on Joseph before their marriage. Who gets pregnant as a virgin? Like all of these things. Well, she said yes to what the Lord wanted to do. And so for today, as we read through this passage in Luke 6, I want us to focus on um, the passages where Jesus calls 12 of his disciples to become apostles. And he, he sort of anoints them to be apostles and sends them out to do work. And we'll get to that in a minute. But just know this, that these, these individuals had a, a road to follow, to come to know Jesus. They followed him, they believed in him, and then, they let, and then God sent him or sent them. And for us, I want us to think similarly, that sometimes we can follow after Jesus, and we should believe in him, and have, and I mean, and we'll talk about this, our, our, our beliefs deep inside of us are rooted in Jesus Christ as our help and nothing else other than Jesus. Jesus is a big deal, say amen. amen. Yes, we believe in him, we trust him, we follow him, and then we allow God to send us to do things. I suspect none of these people at the moment that God is saying, um, asking of them to do things, none of them understood the ramifications of what their life was going to look like at this point. But through faithful obedience and service unto God, we read the stories in history of the lives that they've transformed. Maybe no, no more so than the 12 apostles that Jesus chose. Like our world is no longer the same because of those 12 individuals. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So let's read Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I'll read through verse 16. If you don't have a Bible or don't want to use your app or on your phone, that's fine. We'll put words on the screen, and we'll start here in verse 12. It says, In these days, Jesus, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he, whom he named Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John. And there's Philip and Bartholomew, Bartholomew. And there's Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James. And there's Judas Iscariot, 
who would become a traitor. Bless you. These are the 12 individuals that Jesus called out of a multitude of disciples. He had many disciples following him. And he called these 12 to make them apostles. And I think there's some some, uh, instruction for us as we look into these verses. So would you pray with me one last time? Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. Would you help us to understand what you're saying to us? That if we could take the Bible and apply it to our lives, Lord, that would be helpful to us. If we could look at the lives of these 12 individuals and be encouraged in our lives, that would be a good thing. Lord, we ask for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you know much about your Bible, there's an Old Testament part and a New Testament part. We're working our way through some of the New Testament parts. And in the beginning of the New Testament, there are four um, biographies about Jesus' life. We call them Gospels. It just means good news. There's the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and... John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic gospels. You don't, there's no quiz after this. I'm just telling you the stuff I know. Um, It just means that those three gospels or those three biographies about Jesus sort of come at his life from the same vantage point, kind of from the same lens, if you will. And John's gospel is altogether unique and different. And I bring that up for this distinction, is that the, the 12 apostles that are listed Here in Luke chapter 6, they're also mentioned in Mark chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 10. And so I want to read those two stories, because we just read from from Luke 6 what happened when Jesus chose his 12 disciples. And I want to read from Mark and Matthew so you can see the different lenses by which we look at this. Verse 13 of of Mark 3 says this, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. Right? There's your choice. You want to come or don't you? There it is. Verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and they might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So there's Luke's version and there's Mark's version. Here's Matthew chapter 10. And he, Jesus, called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So those are the three synoptic gospel accounts of Jesus calling his 12 disciples. John doesn't even include this story, so we're not even going to go there. Did you see how they're all similar? Did you notice the one stark difference between all three? I should have told you ahead of time, but there's a difference that that Luke tells us that the other gospels don't. Let me read it again here in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It says, In these days Jesus went out onto the mountain to what? To pray. There's the difference. Then he went out onto a mountain to pray. And so what we want to understand is that for Jesus um, to make this decision that God's asking him to do, uh, it was a time of prayer for him. And it says even in verse 12 that he continued in prayer to God all night. How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have actually prayed all night? Like all night long. Like we've all had like some things come up and you're like, you pray for a little bit or you pray for a week, but only an hour at a time. I don't know. But Jesus in this moment prayed all night. Now we have a couple of instances made or mentioned for us in scriptures where Jesus stayed up all night to pray. One of them is right here. And the other one is in the garden of Gethsemane right before he's arrested and to be crucified where he asked his disciples to stay up all night and pray with him. And remember they kept falling asleep and he sort of admonished them for that. Here Jesus is staying up all night to pray. So what we're learning from Luke, that it's a significant part of the choosing of the 12, and, it's, and, and there's an aspect about it that he wants us to focus in on, and that is prayer. So two things about prayer, and we'll move on. Number one, prayer is highly effective. Say amen. 
oh my goodness, I was praying this morning before at eight o'clock, me and a friend get together and pray. And I was just reminded that when we think nothing is happening, like God just showed me a picture of someone tilling the ground and removing rocks and just breaking up stumps and roots and getting it ready for like planting to take place. Like when we pray, that's the work we do sometimes. Like that's just what we do. Like we prepare whatever God needs prepared so that he can do what he wants to do when we pray. And so while we're praying, things are happening. It's highly effective. And we should pray especially before big decisions. This is a big decision for Jesus, yes? We know he would often go away to pray. It was a spiritual practice that led his ministry, not the other way around. Like your life is a ministry. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you have a ministry. You don't need to have your cards, business cards made. You don't need to have your name on the door or nothing, but, but you have a ministry. God is using you for something. And hear me when I say this, prayer leads your ministry, not the other way around. You don't find yourself into a ministry position and go, oh crud, I should probably pray. We pray. We pray. We pray. And God says, go, go, go. So it's an important part. And Luke tells us this important aspect of being a Christian. So if you're a Christian, prayer is part of your life. It's part of your existence. It's not an extra. It's not the bonus part of the DVD. This is your life. Prayer is part of it. And what I love, the fact that Matthew and both Mark don't mention this aspect, only Luke does, it made me think of this, that sometimes you're going to pray and other people won't even know you're praying. Like they won't even see that it's an important part of your life. It is just who you are and what you do. In fact, I recommend it. You don't need to be the guy that says, I pray all the time. Just pray all the time. Is this making sense? But be a person of prayer. Other people might not know it. Matthew and Mark make no mention of it. So they either saw it as insignificant or whatever, had a different reason for leaving it out. But do it anyway. Pray. God is leading. And decision time for Jesus, it just meant prayer time. And prayer time meant withdrawal time. And sometimes we just have to get away. We have to get away from ourselves. We have to get away from others. And if you're, if you're married and have kids, it's not as easy to do, yes, but still not impossible. You know, while your family is sleeping in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., you could probably get up and pray if you wanted to, in Jesus' name. Or you could do what I do, is stay up well past everyone else going to bed, right? Just stay up late. Right? You don't have to abandon your family to pray. You don't have to abandon your family to do ministry. You can do ministry with your family. They're a part of it for sure. So the question is, and this is what I want to wrestle with for the next few moments, why would Jesus pray all night? I mentioned this is a big decision for sure, but think about it for a moment. Why is Jesus praying all night? For one thing, he knew, and we've been reading about this in, in Luke chapter 4 and 5, that the opposition against Jesus is starting to mount. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders are coming to where Jesus is teaching and preaching, and they're starting to question his authority. They're starting to question what he's doing. In fact, after the last miracle that we read that he performed in Luke chapter 6, it says at that moment, the religious leaders look for a way to get rid of Jesus, i.e., how can we kill this mofo? That's what they're saying. I felt like I shouldn't say that in church, but I already did. My therapist has been talking to, to me about impulse control, and you just, you just witnessed it. I, I am so sorry. I'm talking to you like we're, you're a friend of mine. 
Maybe, maybe we are friends. I don't know. But they want to kill Jesus. I mean, we know the end of the story. In a few short years, he is crucified. And, and he's got but a, a few months left with these people, these multitudes that have gathered around. And so he chooses 12. And he says, I'm going to make them apostles. I'm going to send them out to do something. And before he chooses those 12, and these 12 individuals are going to stay behind after he dies, raises from the dead, and ascends back to heaven. These 12 are going to carry the message of Jesus into the world to forever change it. So this is the decision of decisions to be made. And so Jesus stays up late and he prays. And I need to remind you that Jesus also, as a human, had emotions like you and I did. Like you and I do. In the 12, there's a man named Judas Iscariot. He's the traitor. He's the one who will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. John chapter 6 tells us that Jesus knew from the beginning that Judas was going to betray him. So in this evening, God is giving him the names, is how I picture it, of the people he's going to call his 12. And one of them is the one who will betray him. And Jesus stays all, up all night and prays, are you serious? Like, do I have to pick one to betray? And the father's like, yes, one of you has to betray. One of them has to betray you. Now picture how often God has led you into relationship with people that they're maybe not betrayers to you, but they're not trustworthy. Don't n- nudge your neighbor at this point, Okay. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust them with good things. And yet they're in your life. Have you ever prayed, right? Not that God removed them from your life, but how you can get along and continue to bless them in your life. Because Jesus, we read, actually washed Judas's feet hours before he went and sold him out to the, to the authorities. He served him faithfully, loved him faithfully all the way to the end. We have no record of Jesus ever rebuking Judas for what he's doing. He loved him through it, but it was a necessary part of what had to happen for the Son of God. Why does Jesus pray all night? Because he has to do life for the next few years with a a bunch of messy people. And God says, this is the step that we're taking. This is the place where we're going. And so God calls Jesus through difficult times, and through prayer, and he does so in our lives as well. And so verse 13, it says that when the day came, after he'd prayed all night, he called his disciples, he gathered all of them. At one point in the New Testament, we read there were 70 disciples that Jesus had sent out to cast out demons and to heal the sick. So we don't know how many people are gathered around Jesus at this point, but there's a lot. He gathers them all around him, and from the multitude, he gathers 12. Simon. I need you. Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, which is just fun to say. Bartholomew, you too. Yes, Judas. And Judas is like, excuse me? Yes, you too, Judas. And he calls all of these people and he changes them from disciples, which just means student or learner. Maybe our modern vernacular would use the word apprentice, right? More than apprentice. It's not just like learning what I do, but actually believing the things that I say. So he's calling people who are, who are believing the words of Jesus as he's speaking about the kingdom of God, but he's, he's going to make them apostles, which then means sent ones. And not just sent like I'm sending you to the grocery store, but sent as an emissary, or maybe our modern language would use the word ambassador. Like we'll send ambassadors from the United States to other countries, and they have the authority of the president of the United States with them 
and included in their title, as he sends these 12 individuals out, they have the authority of Christ in them and through them. The words that they say are Jesus' words. You know, as I was thinking about this this, this week, I was reminded that Jesus was an ambassador of sorts. If you think about it, because he actually left heaven, was sent by God, right? John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he what? Sent his son. He's an ambassador, right? And Jesus says these words, I only say the things that I hear my father say, and I only do the things that my father does. So Jesus was an ambassador of sorts, and he's taking this apostolic ministry mantle, whatever, and placing upon these 12 and says, soon I'll be gone, but you're mine for a couple years, and you need to learn from me. And this 12 was a messy group. I wondered why Jesus chose 12. You know, if you read the Bible at all, numbers sometimes mean things. I don't want to get into like deep numerology stuff because that's kind of kooky. Sorry, Brock, but it's kind of kooky. But some of the stuff is really great. So if you, if you read the Old Testament stories of the Israelites, you see that they wandered through the desert for 40 years. You ever heard that story? They wandered through the desert with Moses for 40 years, right? And then you go into the New Testament and you see that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for what, 40 days. So there's some connection. And what, what the biblical authors are doing is what, um, I like what Tim Mackey says from the Bible Project. He says that the God, God places like these hyperlinks in the text to take us back to different places in the Bible. And so we read 40 days here, 40 nights there. We read, this, you know, 40 years. It's, it's all telling us one type of story. It means completeness and fullness. And so, but the, the, the number 12 also means something. Remember when I said earlier that Jacob, even though his name was deceiver or trickster, he was used by God to start a nation. He had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Were you guys paying attention? Just nod, I'll move on. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes, he did that. Jesus, wait for it, is starting something new. There's a new thing that God is doing. Just like God started with Jacob and his 12 boys and it became a nation, God is going to do something through Jesus and who? His 12 disciples. Oh my gosh. This is legit. No? Old timey word for you there. I know. This is amazing. And so, and so, and and this is the thing that that, that, um, we need to understand that these people were not perfect. They were not perfect. We know that the first Christians were Jews. So these first disciples of Jesus were Jewish people because the gospel came to them first. Hallelujah for that. But later, non-Jewish people, what we call Gentiles, came into the family of God, were added to the church through the work that these 12 disciples did and through the ministry of Paul. We could talk about him too. But Jesus picks these 12 messy people and he knows they're going to mess up. I suspect God knows that we're going to mess up sometimes too. I think maybe, this is off notes, this might be fun, we'll see. I think when we mess up, it it freaks us out more than it freaks God out. (laughs) Like, and we spiral into this, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm just an idiot, what a moron. I can't believe I, I know I told myself I'd never do that again. And you just spiral out of control. And the Lord's like, yeah, you screwed up. Duh. Right? Like you have the spirit of God living inside of you, but you have carnal desires still. You have the world around you that's telling you a different way to live. No wonder you messed up. No wonder you made a mistake. Well, of course you made a mistake. 
I think, I think we need to maybe see it from God's perspective a little more often than to spiral out of control when we make a mistake. And here's the, here's the worst part. I'm actually, when you do something wrong, you make a mistake, and you're afraid people are noticing it, so you hide it. You know what the devil loves more than anything is all of the stuff hidden in the dark. Like, he will meet you there 100%. 100%. He will meet you there. But if you just go, I did something stupid, right? As a parent, one of my favorite things to do is to apologize to my children when I'm a, a dummy, right? I do it often, right? And so if they've learned anything from me is that dad is not perfect. Shocker. <laughs> but you stand before people and you say, I blew it. I made a mistake. You expose it. You put it into the light. But God's not freaked out. I don't think he's freaked out. I, I, you can disagree with me. And that's fine. Um, you know, Jesus' death on the cross covered our sins, covered my sins from yesterday. And if you don't know, he covers my sins from tomorrow, too. Um, I'm not abusing that privilege. I'm not doing anything of the sort, but I just know that we still make mistakes occasionally. So anyways, even knowing these 12 individuals are probably going to be making mistakes, knowing that one of them is even going to betray him, Jesus still calls them and still sends them. And we're thinking, what on earth is Jesus thinking? There's a theological supposition in this place here. Like Jesus knows people are going to screw up and still calls them. I want you to think about the weightiness of what God can do in your life. I want you to think about that the life that God is calling us into depends less upon who you are as a person and more of the great power that the Lord wields over your life. Like all the things he's calling us into, they're not dependent upon us. They never have been dependent upon us. So, of course, he'll take wounded, broken individuals, people who are still trying to make their way through life, people who still, still lie and cheat. Of course, God will still use them because he's showing the world around us that his power over your life is greater than even you. The newness that Christ places inside of us changes family trees. Some of you in here have, have, look at your family tree and every marriage in your family has ended in divorce. And you can go back to great grandpa, to grandpa, to dad, to, and now your life. I'm telling you, Christ can do something different and unique in your life. He can alter that limb of that tree. His power is greater than any familial curse, any greater worldly curse or anything else on your life. He can change that. There are, there are people in here whose families are marked with suicide. And they go back and they see cousins and brothers. In my own family, I have addiction, 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 addiction. And Jesus does something on the inside. And it's not to say, well, I knew you'd get clean anyways. He stands over us in power and makes us clean and changes us and heals marriages and, and rebukes depression and removes addictive personality from us. He does this stuff because of his great power, not in who you are. I love you, but you're not all that. He is. These 12 individuals, you, you read their stories. They're a mess. 
mess. We read a lot about Peter's life in the New Testament. We know Thomas, one of the 12, was, he doubted Jesus. Even after being with him for three years, he doubted. I mean, on and on. And, and yet we see as, as God shoot, uses Jesus to call these 12, that if he can use them, then he can use us. But it comes down to this, that we have to not only follow after Jesus, we have to believe in the things that he can do. And this is what my hope is for us this morning, is that you believe the things that I'm saying to you, that your life can be changed. If Just nod at me, your life can be changed. Yes, it can be changed. Just believe that, right? And he's not going to make you do a bunch of stuff to make it changed. He's going to do it. You just have to believe it. And then you have to go when he sins. Verse 14, 15, 16, I won't read them again. Those are the names of the 12. These names are listed four times in Scripture. You can read them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in Acts chapter 1, I think. You can read them all. They're all the same 12 names. They're in different orders a little bit, but the same 12 people. But I want to close with this idea. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, Jesus has just performed one of his greatest miracles. He fed 5,000 people with a couple fish and some loaves of bread. Uh, Multitudes, 10,000 people possibly, just 5,000 men, but with the wives and children, probably more. After that, he leaves to go to the other side of the lake. And um, rather than take a boat, Jesus does that cool thing where he walks on the water. Anybody ever heard of that? He does that really cool thing. He just skips across the lake, which is amazing to me. And he doesn't tell anyone he's leaving, doesn't tell anyone he's leaving. He goes to the other side with the disciples. And the next morning, like all the people, the multitudes around are looking for Jesus. Like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And uh, they, they hear that Jesus is over across the lake. So they go, yeah, da, 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 and they start to make their way around the horn of the lake. And they get to where Jesus is, and they go to him, and they ask him questions. And Jesus lovingly rebukes them. John chapter 6, he says these words to them. He says um, something like this. He says, you know, you, you follow me because I feed you. And that's the only reason you're coming around. You follow me because I do some things for you. Okay. I love you. <laughs> I want the best for you. And the best for you is for you to surrender your life fully to Jesus. But some of you are just following Jesus from a distance because of the blessings or the things that he can do for you. Like in his infinite wisdom and his great care and love for you, when things get tough for you, you cry out to him occasionally, like when things are sucky, right? And he does a cool thing for you. And you're like, amazing. It's like he just fed you from two fish and five loaves of bread. But you stay at this distance. And so Jesus rebukes his followers. And he says, you're only coming around because of what I can do for you. You need to do something else. And so they ask him. They said, here it is in John chapter 6, verse 28. They said to them, what must we do? What should we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus responds to them. This is the work of God, that you believe in me. It's not enough to follow him. You have to believe in him, to believe what he can do, and then to be sent. The baptisms today are showing that in physical representation. There's some lives that have been transformed in this building, right? That's just a handful of them. We could, we could pass this microphone around and let some of you tell the stories of what God has done in your life. Before we baptize people today, we asked them to share some of their testimonies. As Andrew, the guy that went in first, as Andrew is telling some of his story 
um, I looked around the room and people were weeping. Like just can't imagine what he has gone through and is still in love with Jesus. And then Andrew starts to cry. And I stopped him from, I said, guys, listen, this is not a funeral, right? This is a celebration, amen? You have been made new. Yes, the stories are replete around the room of the brokenness that God has wielded his power over and transformed. Baptism Sundays are celebrations for us in that regard. But every Sunday, there are people in here who that last, the previous week, God spoke to them on a lunch break. Or God gave them the power to leave that guy because he's just no good for him. Or what, I mean, all the things, right? That God is calling you into a different path than everyone else. And, and God is doing that. We have stories like that constantly. So don't follow him from a distance. Believe in him, trust in him. And then when he, when he gives you something to do, just do it. Amen? Amen. So... I'm done. There it is. <laughs> I wish I was better at preaching. I would like have a cool, I would do like a cool close, like, okay, let's do some cool stuff. I don't have that. So, um, so let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Jesus, we exalt your name. We exalt your name. We, we claim no other power. We claim no righteousness on our own, no works-centered salvation. We claim nothing but the work of Christ in our lives. God, we thank you that you would um, love us enough to send Jesus to care for us, to care by giving his life as a ransom, to taking upon himself the punishment of sin, which is death, and then to beat death by resurrecting from the grave on the third day. And, and those of us who believe that, this is what the Bible teaches us, those of us that believe that, Paul says that we are new creations. We are new creations. This is not unlike a, a caterpillar that goes into a cocoon and comes out a completely different thing in a butterfly. I need you to hear that. You are made new. He has changed you. You are a different person. And the world is still gonna to try to trip you up and all of that, but you have something greater in you than you can imagine. That is the Spirit of God. So Lord, we pray that the Spirit would move. He'd move freely. God, we don't need to convince anyone of this because the Holy Spirit's role is to convince people of their sin, all right, convict them of it, not to shame them, not to condemn them, but just to show them that without Jesus, there's no hope. And the Holy Spirit's role is to testify about Jesus Christ. So. God, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Just come, talk to us about Jesus. We want Jesus to be a big deal. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day of baptism. We thank you for this day of, of remembering all the made new people in the world. We thank you for the lives of 12 messy individuals, one of them even a traitor, <laughs> and yet you still use them in profound ways. Lord, use us cause us to be salt and light in the earth, Lord. Cause us to, to stand in opposition to what the devil wants to do in our world. God, we don't need special power. We don't need special anything. We have it all from you. We have it all from you. 
give us the knowledge to know that we have everything we need. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.